uh, making sure you have the right people on the plan is one of them. And that's take care eligibility and, and communicating what else is out there outside of employer-based plans can help, I guess, shield yourself a little bit from, from those costs. From Rain Associates Remote Studio in Newark, Ohio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow as a leader while helping your organization grow and thrive. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at www.racecpa.com podcast and sign up for updates. Employers have always grappled with the rising cost of employee health care. But ever since COVID-19 reared its ugly head, employers have raised a ton of questions and concerns related to healthcare's future costs and what they can do to protect their employees as well as their bottom lines. Michael Clark, an employee benefits consultant, and Todd Lancaster, a sales executive specializing in property and casualty with Oswald Companies in Cleveland, are here to talk about the impact the coronavirus crisis will have on healthcare costs and how businesses can better manage their spend. Welcome to Unsuitable, Michael and Todd. Thank you, Doug. We we appreciate you having us. And I, you use the word mundane and mundane yes. insurance are uh, is a direct correlation. <laughs> ah, well, good to know. Good to know. So, so much going on. Obviously, everybody's world got kind of thrown upside down three months or so ago. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, from both of your perspectives, certainly, uh, Michael, you can uh, hear, I want to hear your perspective on, on healthcare impact for, for businesses. Uh, and then Todd, perhaps you can give us some, some property and casualty uh, insight as well. So what's what's been happening? What's been the impact? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you take a look at, I think when we look at back on this and, you know, the numerous case studies that are going to be uh, created, not just on the insurance, but the financial aspect, it's, it really took a lot of us by storm. Um, mm-hmm. When I say us, I think the health insurance carriers, obviously elective surgeries were postponed for yep. multiple months, which caused insurance carriers to run significantly lower on their medical loss ratios. Mm. And when you look at a medical loss ratio, it's on the, the fully insured side of, uh, side of the house where, you know, the amount of premium paid versus the claims that are paid out. Right. So insurance carriers typically look at, you know, an 80 to 90% medical loss ratio is what, what would be consistent for groups and, you know, we're seeing them significantly lower because all of those high cost hip replacements, knee replacements sure. were postponed. Yeah. So, you know, what we've seen is a significant dip in claims from, I would say, March into, you know, now starting to ramp back up as we get into June. And we expect the end of the, the end of Q2 to really get the first piece of that, you know, okay. a lot of studies that I've seen, we're doing some, some direct contracting with local hospital systems and they're sending out questionnaires and surveys 
requesting for when would you like to schedule this elective surgery that was postponed? And 92% of the patients are saying, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah. So we expect, we expect to see a large spike in Q3, Q4. And this is also going to raise the question of what about all of the preventative cases, the preventative exams that were postponed, you know, what wasn't caught that should have been caught. So again, you know, I've seen a number of reports when it comes to COVID-19, the impact of, from a cost perspective, we're seeing between 350 billion to 1.5 trillion, which is a large gap. I don't think that hospital systems really have an understanding of what the long-term impact is going to be. Obviously we're waiting for a virus you know, there's yeah. cost, or I'm sorry, not a virus, uh, a vaccine. There's going to be a cost associated with that vaccine. And, you know, I think it's going to be determined how insurance companies are going to handle that. When you look at the cost of an inpatient stay, it's really averaging between 25000 for a lower level, a lower critical level case, all the way up to 60000 in, in critical scenarios. When you get into ventilators, um, there's been a number of scenarios where we've seen patients that have been on ventilators for 20 plus days. You're getting it well into the to the hundred thousand dollar range. Mm. Um, and when you look at the demographics of those patients, it's significantly higher percentage of individuals that end up in that critical scenario are over the age of 60. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, I, I think we'll get into the second segment of this of how do we better manage these costs with the expectations and, and the data that we have, uh, making sure you have the right people on the plan is one of them. And that's yeah. big care eligibility and, and communicating what else is out there outside of employer-based plans can help, I guess, shield yourself a little bit from from those costs. Yeah. And we're, and, and we're not even, you know, thinking about, uh, as I've hear you, you know, there's a lot of follow on to that too. What about, okay, if, if you've had COVID-19 and, and perhaps did that cause uh, any type of uh, permanent lung damage, that type of thing, then you're dealing with pre-existing condition, which the current administration is trying to uh, no longer cover. So, you know, there's a lot of issues down the line that can be impacted there as well. But uh, let's shift gears a little bit, Todd. What about uh, property and casualty uh, impact? What what have you seen there? I know there's been a lot of consternation about business interruption uh, insurance and and obviously COVID-19, not a part of that. What's uh, some of the scuttlebutt in the PNC side? Yeah, scuttlebutt might be a good word right now, actually. Uh (laughs) <laughs> and you brought up the, the key point is the business interruption. We have a lot of uh, you know, companies that are experiencing significant losses at this time. Some, some are not, but the restaurant hospitality business in particular are seeing huge um, losses of revenue. Yeah. We're looking at hopeful recovery from business interruption standpoint, but the key trigger, and I know a lot of people listening in, the key trigger of the coverage is property damage. So right. with the whole COVID-19 situation, it's hard for uh, organizations to prove that there's any kind of physical damage to a property. It's all viral and you know, health-related. So that's, that's the biggest um, issue right now. We have a lot of frustrated clients and customers that, are, that we're hoping to receive some recovery from the business interruption standpoint. And I think a lot of that's going to be determined down the road. Every scenario is different. 
Yeah. Whether or not you had somebody at your facility that tested positive for the virus or not. But in, in order to um, really make sure you're approaching any claim scenario the right way is key. Um, right. Because even if there's some sort of recourse from the government or there's a look back of, of BI coverage, you got to make sure that you have all your I's dotted, T's crossed, and you approach the claim scenario the right way. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Now, obviously, that's starting to wind its way through the court system, correct? Because there's a lot of, um, I know there were a lot of lawsuits filed that, hey, this should be part of business interruption coverage. What I mean, obviously, this is just your personal opinion. That doesn't mean it's uh, anything... Um, to take to the bank by any means, but wh where do you think some of this will, will fall if you had to take a guess? Yeah, it's hard to tell, but I know the insurance industry and the carriers have, have, have been pretty stick together. They're sticking together that there's no yeah. for business interruption for this, whether or not the government then and, and kind of develops a plan to, to help out um, who knows, but um, we're seeing of all of the claims that we've seen put to put in, we've seen, 99.9% um, .9 of them denied by the carriers. Yeah. Again, and the cost from an insurance standpoint in the insurance industry, even though these claims aren't going to be covered, there's going to be a lot of litigation. Mm, the sure. already hardening market that we were starting to see in the property casualty side of the business, the impact of this is just going to add to that. Yeah. So the rates are going to continue to increase as we've seen over the last four to eight quarters across multiple, multiple lines. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you bring up a good point about, it's interesting how the carriers have reacted on the health insurance side. There's almost been a domino effect. It was the first one to say, well, we're going to offer premium delays, right? Oh. Or premium holiday. And then, you know, as soon as you see one carrier offer it, start to get the reports that the rest of them are going to follow suit. So I'll be interested to see as, as some of these business interruption cases uh, come to fruition, if, carriers get aboard. Yeah. One, yeah. one other thing I, I want to add is that the, some of the you know, property casualty carriers are also doing those same payment deferments. And there's a lot of, because of the shutdowns of these businesses, a lot of the risks that these companies have, whether it's auto or, or other folks with people not working, that these carriers are looking at that and they're taking midterm changes in exposure. So we've seen certain cases where companies have gotten premium back because they know that the, a large fleet of autos that are typically on the road every day are sure. So there's yeah. been some cases where you know, insurance or companies have seen some relief, but it's going to be a long time to determine the business interruption and how that all plays out. Right. So Michael, from um, your perspective and given what's happened, where do you see, uh, you know, healthcare uh, premiums and, and healthcare costs uh, in, in the near term, say for 2021. I know largely they've been fairly flat the last couple of years, uh, at least relative to time before that in terms of increases. So what, what is, what's your projection going forward? I think there's going to be a significant change in the healthcare landscape. Really, I don't know that either administration is going to... Um, defer that from happening. I think whether it's Democratic or Republic, there's going to be um, Republican, there's going to be some change on the healthcare side. Now, does that mean 
universal coverage or Medicare for all. No, I don't think that we're going to see anything near that. I think that there could be some extensions on uh, maybe Medicare or different types of public option plans. Gotcha. You know, I expect more and more companies to continue to self-fund because Mm. when you take a look at and and just um, give a quick overview, fully insured is you really have a fixed premium. So every month you're paying X amount of dollars. It's consistent throughout the 12 month contract on a self-funded arrangement. You are paying your claims up to a certain attachment point up to a certain stop loss. Gotcha. You have better control as to where your money goes. Whereas the insurance companies are the ones that are benefiting when you have a lower medical loss ratio, as as I mentioned earlier. So I think we'll see more and more groups start to self-fund all the way down, you know, into the 60 to 70 life uh, employee bases. Okay. I think then on top of that, it'll give them a better opportunity to manage their spend through a lot of the innovations that we're seeing that, you know, even I know Rain Associates is, is taking a part in. Yeah. So you, is that sort of, as you currently see it, kind of the, the break even for those those self-insured type of uh, setups, like 60 to 70 employee roughly range? You know, if you were to ask me that five or six years ago, it, it would be it would be asinine for somebody to say, well, if it is 70 life group, it's all funded. That's crazy. You know, yeah. from a perspective, it's just, it's not feasible. And we're seeing more and more. I mean, the threshold has gone from 150 down to 100. Now all the way, you know, we've got groups that are 70 employees enrolled that are self-funded that are winning wow. against the insurance carriers. I mean, if you were to do a fully assured analysis over a three-year spectrum, you know, they've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars by taking that plunge into a self-funded environment. And carriers are starting to carriers are starting to become more agnostic with that as well. So they're creating these platforms that are contingent premium or level funded that are really hybrid stepping stones into a self-funded model. Okay. That's, that's great to know. And certainly for uh, our, our business owner our listeners out there, that's incumbent upon them to talk to a you know professional like yourself to examine some of those options if they haven't uh, in the past. A great time to do that, right? So Todd, uh, just getting back to the, the property and casualty side, what what else? I, I mean, we continue to hear a lot about the boy, the distracted driving. And I know there was, as you talked about, kind of the, this hardening market that we had seen. What what else is impacting the, the property and casualty side in terms of costs or, or things that businesses can do to, to help control those, those, those costs? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a going back historically, right? The last six to eight years, it's been a really flat market rates been really um, remaining pretty even. And it's been easy for those CFOs and business owners to budget for what those costs are going to be. And for the first time really in the last you know, two years, as I mentioned before, it's starting to see a little bit more uh, of a change where rates and increases are going up. Um, I can go into the details of what's driving that, but in order to really gain control of those rising costs, similar to what Michael said, we have a lot of clients that are taking on larger retentions, looking at captive alternatives so they can gain control of that risk. Uh, and, and as long as they have the uh, right risk management procedures in place, that's going to be important. Even if you're still remaining with the fully insured um, kind of option without the higher deductibles, underwriters are going to start paying closer and closer attention to your risk management strategies 
because they're not going to take on risks and offer limits that they used to without knowing what you guys are doing to prevent and control your risk. So it's important in the the future to kind of manage those risks proactively. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, one of the things we, um, I know we at Ray and Associates, we have a a cyber um, risk group here, and and that's something that certainly is is a hot topic as well. Now, the a cyber risk policy for for business owners that's separate from your traditional PNC type of coverage, right? Yeah, we did something that we roll into our property capability um, program. So we have an, an expert in a group that just does cyber liability at Oswald, um, but it, it is an ever growing concern. And even with now with COVID and the impact that it's having to businesses and folks working remotely. Yeah. A lot more of these Zoom type meetings, the cyber risk is 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 very, very important. And sure much more important now. So um yeah, it's important for people to control and, and understand what those risks are. And these uh attackers that are coming after businesses um, you know, through the system, through computers and ransomware and different things, they're getting smarter, more creative, and now more than ever they have uh an opportunity to uh, to get access. Yeah, yeah, we don't want them getting access to uh, and hacking our unsuitable podcast here. That'd, that'd be a Greek tragedy. Yeah. I've heard so many stories about that. I mean, sure. even, even from an, an HR perspective, when more and more companies are transitioning to this virtual environment, and you know the work from home and the work from anywhere movements are, are continuing to grow. You know, I know we've had a number of conversations with um, Sean Richardson, who yeah, a, a fantastic. I mean, when it comes to cyber, he is uh, one of the best. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, what we're doing on the risk management side, we've done a little bit of collaboration with Sean, and we look forward to working more with him in, in the future. And, yeah, what, and what a lot of people don't realize is part of you know, if you do buy that cyber insurance, there's so many things that come with the policy that can be useful to a business. Yeah. You know, whether it's uh, coaching from the, from the uh, specialists on the carrier side to understand how to best mitigate the risks. Yeah. If you do have an incident, then, you know, then you have somebody that can help you respond to that incident as well. And a lot of people don't understand the what's there yeah. for you as a policyholder. It's key. So, so, Michael, back to to the the healthcare side too a little bit. So, for for business owners as as they rethink their their physical footprint and how they connect and how they work, does that impact the health coverage at all? And in, in terms of companies thinking through that part of it, or is that really kind of a, a separate issue? I'm curious if, if that has impact on on that side of things. Well, it has impact to a, to a certain extent. I think that company owners, I think executives, I think that when you look at leadership teams across all organizations, healthcare is, in most cases, the number two spend mm. for every company, which is crazy to think because I can't tell you how many organizations we've met with that it is a one you know one meeting a year type transactional approach and. Mm. It just can't be that way. You know, there, I think historically there's been the sense that it is what it is, but it's not anymore. You know, you can't enact change. There are so many different innovations out there 
where you can cut your costs 25, 30, 40% and actually enhance your benefits. I mean, wow. look, you're in Franklin County right now. If you were to look in Franklin County, you're going to find an MRI for $600 and you're going to find one for $3,200. Wow. That's crazy to think, right? It is. Every single employee at Oswald, at Rain Associates, when they go to buy a vehicle, they're looking to find the best deal and they're willing to drive. If they're anything like me, I'm willing to drive. You know, I always set my marker for 300 miles. That's kind of my, yeah. if I can find the best deal within 300 miles, I'm going to drive. I'm going to make the change. You know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to save the money and feel good about it. It should be no different with healthcare. You know, when yeah. you start to get into hip replacements and knee replacements, you're talking 40, 50, $60,000 for going to a higher quality facility. I mean, that's the biggest part of that. Mm. People think that there's a direct correlation between cost and quality. When it comes to healthcare, there's not. Interesting. But yeah. When you look at some of the top orthopedic facilities in the state of Ohio, they're the ones that are the lowest cost. Really? Doing more and more of these surgeries. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So they get more efficient at it. In other words, exactly. they specialize. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now I know the the hospital systems that the, they they've all been anxious, obviously, to get back to doing a lot of those um, quote unquote more elective type procedures because that's where uh, the benefits are are for them. So, do you think because of what's happened, will there be some shakeout with with regard to providers and things like that? What what's your what are your thoughts there? I think. And- I don't want to sound biased, but I think that hospital systems are going to be looking to recoup a lot of profit that they lost. Mm, yeah. You know, the Cleveland Clinic announced that it lost millions and millions of dollars over the first quarter. Hospital systems are going to look for ways to recoup that. Yeah. Okay? Is it through elective surgeries? Is it through you know a number of different types of procedures that can be done? That is their business. At the end of the day, a hospital system is a business. They have to drive you know, a certain number of patients at a certain cost in order to break even. So I expect there to be, I expect there to be a lot of outreach from the hospital side to get these elective surgeries back scheduled. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, given their model, they're obviously heavy fixed costs. uh, So they've got, you know, they, they need to do that. Um, It's a fee for service model. You're right. Yeah. Interesting. So, so Todd, any last thoughts from you? Like, what what do you see in in terms of the in, insurance industry overall? In terms of P and C side, will we see additional shakeout mergers, things like that? What What are your thoughts? Well, uh, one more thing to follow up on the whole impact of of COVID. Uh, as you can imagine, as these companies gone through some furloughs or layoffs, now they're bringing folks back. Um, maybe they're not bringing everybody back. It's bringing on a whole different type of risk from a HR and ownership uh, side of things. So employment practices, terminations, mismanagement of the COVID situation. Maybe they didn't have all their uh, protocols, everything in place. So that right now is a big issue and concern. We see a big uptick in that type of claim scenario that can you know, greatly impact the business. And Great point. Overall, from the um, insurance market, I think it's maybe too early to tell what this direct impact of COVID is going to be. But I know, as I stated before, the market was already starting to change a little bit. And they expect the, whether or not it's BI claims, workers' comp, 
the claims that I just mentioned with employment practices and stuff, it could be a hundred billion dollar impact to the insurance carriers. Wow. So if you think about that, that's going to affect those business owners going through renewals for this year, years to come. So yeah, got to be ready to get ahead of it. It's not going to be the renewal process you're used to. If you're not proactively putting together a strategy to approach the renewal, then you're going to be in for a different type of rate increase that you haven't seen over the last three to five years. Yeah. The key is, I think, as you, you suggested there, get, get ahead of the game, get with your professionals like you, you and Michael now, you know, let's, let's start having those conversations, right? Yeah, don't, it, don't wait. It used to be 60, 90 days before renewal and you, and it's kind of a transactional process, but now more than ever, you have to get way out in front of it, develop a plan and stick to that plan and see what you can do to give, give you the best we want to put you up on that pedestal. So those carriers are want your business. Yeah. If you're not proactively doing that ahead of time. Then, then you're, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Yeah. That's uh, that's very sage advice. I very much appreciate it. So thank you, Michael and, and Todd, both. I uh, really appreciate having you, having you on today and uh, very, very good stuff. I learned a lot. So hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Uh, and if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 